Book the Sixth, Part Five of Birds of Prey by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Six Continued. Is that last letter still in existence? I asked. Yes, my first wife kept it with the rest of her family letters and papers. Dorothy takes care of them now. We country folks set store by those sorts of things, you know. I would have fain asked Mr. Mercer to let me see this last letter written by susan meynell but what excuse could i devise for so doing i was completely fettered by my promise to george shelton and could offer no reasonable pretence for my curiosity there was one point which i was bound to push home in the interests of my shelton or shall i not rather say of my charlotte that all-important point was the question of marriage or no marriage you feel quite clear as to the fact that montague kingdon never did marry this young woman i said well yes replied uncle joe that was proved beyond doubt i'm sorry to say mr kingdon never could have dared to come back here with his west indian wife in poor susan meynell's lifetime if he had really married her and how about the lady he was said to have married in spain i can't say anything about that it may have been only a scandal, or, if there was a marriage, it may have been illegal. The kingdoms were Protestants, and the Spaniards were all Papists, I suppose. A marriage between a Protestant and a Roman Catholic wouldn't be binding. Not upon such a man as this kingdom. It seems more than probable that the opinion arrived at by this poor soul's friends must be correct, and that Montague Kingdon was a scoundrel. But how about Susan Winnell's afterlife? the fourteen years in which she was lost sight of may she not have married someone else than mr kingdon and may she not have left heirs who will arise in the future to dispute my darling's claim is it a good thing to have a great inheritance the day has been when such a question as that could not by any possibility have shaped itself in my mind ah what is this subtle power called love which worketh such wondrous changes in the human heart surely the miracle of the cleansed leper is in some manner typical of this transformation the emanation of divine purity encircled the leper with its supernal warmth and the scales fell away beneath that mysterious influence and so from the pure heart of a woman issues a celestial fire which burns the plague spot out of the sinner's breast ah how i languish to be at my darling's feet thanking her for the cure she has wrought i have given my sheldon the story of susan meynell's life as i had it from uncle joseph he agrees with me as to the importance of susan's last letter but even that astute creature does not always see a way to getting the document in his hands without letting mr mercer more or less into our secret i might tell this man mercer some sort of story about a little bit of money coming to his niece and get at susan meynell's letter that way he said but whatever i told him would be sure to get around to philip somehow or other and i don't want to put him on the scent my sheldon's legal mind more than ever inclines to caution now that he knows the heiress of the haygarths is so nearly allied to his brother philip i'll tell you what it is hawkehurst he said to me after we had discussed the business in all its bearings there are not many people i'm afraid of but i don't mind owning to you that i'm afraid of my brother phil 
he has always walked over my head partly because he can wear his shirt front all through business hours without greasing it which i can't and partly because he is well more unscrupulous than i am he paused meditatively and i too was meditative for i could not choose but wonder what it was to be more unscrupulous than george sheldon if he were to get an inkling of this affair my patron resumed presently he'd take it out of our hands before you could say jack robinson supposing anybody ever wanted to say jack robinson which they don't and he'd drive a bargain with us instead of our driving a bargain with him my friend of gray's inn has a pleasant way of implying that our interests are co-equal in this affair i caught him watching me curiously once or twice during our last interview when charlotte's name was mentioned does he suspect the truth i wonder november twelfth i had another interview with my patron yesterday and rather a curious interview though not altogether unsatisfactory george sheldon has been making good use of his time since my return from yorkshire i don't think we need to have any fear of opposition from children or grandchildren of susan Minel, he said i have found the registry of her interment in the churchyard of st giles cripplegate she is described in that registry by her maiden name and there is a plain headstone in a corner of the ground inscribed with the name of susan Minel, who died july fourteenth eighteen thirty five much lamented and then the next text about the one sinner that repenteth and so on said mr sheldon as if he did not care to dwell on so hackneyed a truism but i began she might have been married in spite of yes she might replied my sheldon captiously but then you see the probability is that she wasn't if she had been married she would have told her sister as much in that last letter or she would have said as much when they met but she was delirious not all the time she was sensible enough to talk about her sorrow for the past and so on and she must have been sensible enough to have spoken of her children if she had ever had any besides if she had been married she would scarcely have been wandering about the world in that miserable manner unless her husband was an uncommonly bad lot no hawkers depend upon it we have nothing to fear in that quarter the person we have to fear is that precious brother of mine you talked the other day about driving a bargain with him i said i didn't quite understand your meaning the fortune can only be claimed by char miss holliday and your brother has no legal authority to dispose of her money of course not answered my employer with a contemptuous impatience of my dullness but my brother phil is not the man to wait for legal power his ideas will be miss halliday's ideas in this business when my case is ripe for action i shall make my bargain half the fortune to be mine from the day of its recovery a deed containing these conditions must be executed by charlotte halliday before i hand over a single document relating to the case now as matters stand at present he went on looking very fixedly at me her execution of that deed would rest with philip and when shall you make your overtures to mr sheldon i asked at a loss to understand that intent look not until the last links of the chain are put together not before i'm ready to make my first move on the chancellor's chessboard perhaps not at all how do you mean if i can tide over for a little time 
I may throw Philip overboard altogether, and get someone else to manage Miss Halliday for me. What do you mean? I'll tell you, Hawkehurst, answered my patron, resting his elbows on the table by which we were sitting, and looking me through with those penetrating black eyes of his. My brother Phil played me a shabby trick a few years ago, which I have not forgotten or forgiven. So I shouldn't mind paying him out in some of his own coin. Beyond which, I tell you again, I don't like the idea of his having a finger in this business. Where that kind of man's finger can go, his whole hand will follow, and if once that hand fastens on John Haygarth's money, it will be bad times for you and me. Miss Halliday counts for exactly nothing in my way of reckoning. If her stepfather told her to sign away half a million, she'd scribble her name at the bottom of the paper and press her pretty little thumb upon the wafer, without asking a single question as to the significance of the document. And, of course, she'd be still less inclined to make objections if it was her husband who asked her to execute the deed. Aha, my young friend! How is it you grow first red and then white when I mention Miss Halliday's husband? I have no doubt that I did indeed blanch when that portentous word was uttered in conjunction with my darling's name. Mr. Sheldon leant a little farther across the table. His hard black eyes penetrated a little deeper into the recesses of my foolish heart. "'Valentine Hawkehurst,' he said, "'shall we throw my brother Phil overboard altogether?' shall you and I go shares in this fortune? Upon my word and honor, I don't understand you, I said in all sincerity. You mean that you won't understand me, answered George Sheldon impatiently. But I'll make myself pretty clear presently, as your own interest is at stake. You'll be very unlike the rest of your species if you don't find it easy enough to understand me. When I first let you in for the chance of a prize out of this business, neither you nor i had the slightest idea what circumstances would throw the rightful claimant to the haygarth estate so completely into our way i had failed so many times with other cases before i took up this case that it's a wonder i had the courage to work on but somehow or other i had a notion that this particular business would turn up trumps the way it seemed a little clearer than it usually is but not clear enough to tempt tom dick and harry and then, again, I had learnt a good many secrets from the experience of my failures. I was well up to my work. I might have carried it on, and I ought to have carried it on without help. But I was getting worn out and lazy, so I let you into my secret, having taken it into my head that I could venture to trust you. You didn't trust me further than you could help, my friend, I replied with my usual candour. You never told me the amount left by the reverend intestate, but I heard that down at Ullerton. A half-share in a hundred thousand pounds is worth trying for, Mr. Sheldon. They call it a hundred thousand down there, do they? asked the lawyer, with charming innocence. Those country people always deal in high figures. However, I don't mind owning that the sum is a handsome one, and if you and I play our cards wisely— we may push Philip out of the game altogether, and share the plunder between us. Again I was obliged to confess myself unable to grasp my employer's meaning. "'Mary Charlotte Halliday out of hand,' he said, bringing his eyes and elbows still nearer to me, until his bushy black whiskers almost touched my face. 
marry her before philip gets an inkling of this affair and then instead of being made a tool of by him she'll be safe in your hands and the money will be in your hands into the bargain why how you stare man do you think i haven't seen how the land lies between you two haven't i dined at bayswater when you've been there and could any man with his wits about him see you two sentimental young simpletons together without seeing how things were going on you are in love with charlotte and charlotte is in love with you what more natural than that you two should make a match of it charlotte is her own mistress and hasn't sixpence in the world that any one but you and i know of for of course my brother phil will continue to stick to every penny of poor old tom's money all you have to do is to follow up the young lady it's the course that would suggest itself to any man in the same case even if miss halliday were the ugliest old harridan in christendom instead of being a very jolly kind of girl as girls go my employer said this with the tone of a man who had never considered the genus girl a very interesting part of creation i suppose i looked at him rather indignantly for he laughed as he resumed i'll say she's an angel if you like he said and if you think her one so much the better you may consider it a very lucky thing that you came in my way and still more lucky thing that miss halliday has been silly enough to fall in love with you i've heard of men being born with silver spoons in their mouths but i should think you must have come into the world with a whole service of plate however this is neither here nor there your policy will be to follow up your advantages and if you can persuade the young lady to change her name for hawkehurst on the quiet some fine morning without stopping to ask permission of her stepfather or any one else so much the better for you and so much more the agreeable to me i'd rather do business with you than with my brother phil and i shan't be sorry to cry quits with that gentleman for the shabby trick he played me a few years ago my sheldon's brow darkened as he said this and the moody fit returned that old grudge which my patron entertains against his brother must have relation to some very disagreeable business if i may judge by george sheldon's manner here was a position for me valentine hawkehurst soldier of fortune cosmopolitan adventurer the child of the nomadic tribes who call bohemia their mother country already blessed with the sanction of my dear love's simple yorkshire kindred i was now assured of george sheldon's favour nay urged onward in my paradisiac path by that unsentimental mentor the situation was almost too much for my bewildered brain charlotte an heiress and george sheldon eager to bring about my participation in the haygarthian thousands and now i sit in my little room in omega street pondering upon the past and trying to face the perplexities of the future is this to be am i so hopeless an outsider in the race of life to come in with a rush and win the prize which fortune's first favorite mine envy can i hope or believe it can the fates have been playing a pleasant practical joke with me all this time like those fairies who decree that the young prince shall pass his childhood and youth in the guise of a wild boar only to be transformed into adonius at last by the hand of the woman who is disinterested enough to love him despite his formidable tusks and ungainly figure no 
a thousand times no the woman i love and the fortune i have so often desired are not for me every man has his own special fates and the three sisters who take care of me are grim hard-visaged hard-hearted spinsters not to be mollified by propitiation or by the smooth tongue of the flatterer the cup is very sweet and it seems almost within my grasp but between that chalice of delight and the lips that thirst for it ah what a gulf november thirteenth the above was written late at night and under the influence of my black dog what an ill-conditioned cur he is and how he mouths and mangles the roses that bestrew his pathway always bent upon finding the worm at the core i kicked the brood out of doors this morning on finding a letter from my dear one lying on my plate avant aroy thee foul friend i cried thou art the veritable poodle in whose skin mephistopheles hides when bent on direst mischief i will set the sign of the cross upon my threshold and thou shalt enter no more this is what i said to myself as i tore open charlotte's envelope with its pretty little motto stamped on cream-coloured sealing-wax pensesa moi all love while memory holds a seat in this distracted globe i saw the eyes of my friend horatio fixed upon me as i opened my letter and i knew that my innermost sentiments were under inspection prudence demands all possible caution where the noble captain is concerned i cannot bring myself to put implicit faith in his account of his business at ullerton he may have been there as he says on some promoting speck but our meeting in that town was to say the least a strange coincidence and i am not a believer in coincidences off the stage where a gentleman invariably makes his appearance directly his friends begin to talk about him i cannot forget my conviction that jonah goodge was brought over by a rival investigator and that rebecca haygarth's letters were tampered with nor can i refrain from connecting that shapely but well-worn lavender glove with the person of my dandy friend horatio paget the disappearance of a letter from the packet entrusted to me by miss judson is another mysterious circumstance nor can i do away with the impression that i heard the name manel distinctly pronounced by philip sheldon the last time i was at the villa george sheldon tells me the secret cannot by any possibility have been betrayed unless by me and i have been prudence itself supposing my suspicions of mr goodge to be correct the letters extracted from mrs rebecca's correspondence might tell much and might even put horatio on the track of the minels but how should he get his first inkling of the business certainly not from me or from george sheldon but might not his attention have been attracted by that advertisement for heirs at law to the haygarthian estate which appeared in the times these are questions with which the legal intellect of my sheldon may best grapple for myself i can only drift with the resistless stream called life i was so unfortunate as to make my appearance in our common sitting-room five minutes after my patron there had been enough time for him to examine the superscription and postmark of my letter he was whistling when i went into the room people who have been looking at things that don't belong to them always whistle i did not care to read charlotte's first letter with those hawk's eyes fixed upon me so i just glanced at the dear handwriting 
as if running over an ordinary letter with the eye of indifference, and then put the document into my pocket with the best assumption of carelessness I was capable of. How I longed for the end of that tedious meal, over which Captain Paget lingered in his usual epicurean fashion. My friend Horatio has shown himself not a little curious about my late absence from the joint domicile. I again resorted to the dorking fiction, my aged aunt breaking fast, and requiring much propitiation from a dutiful nephew with an eye to her testamentary arrangements. I had been compelled to endow my shadowy relative with a comfortable little bit of money, in order to account for my devotion, since the powerful mind of my Horatio would have refused to grasp the idea of disinterested affection for an ancient kinswoman. There was an ominous twinkle in the captain's sharp grey eyes when I gave this account of my absence, and I sorely doubt his acceptance of this second volume of the Dorking Romance. Ah, what a life it is we lead in the tents of Ishmael, the castaway, though what tortuous pathways wander the nomad tribes who call Hagar, the abandoned, their mother. What lies, what evasions, what prevarications! Horatio Paget and I watch each other like two cunning fencers, with a stereotyped smile upon our lips and an eager restlessness in our eyes, and who shall say that one or other of our rapiers is not poisoned, as in the famous duel before Claudius, usurper of Denmark? My dear one's letter is all sweetness and love. She is coming home, and much as she prefers Yorkshire to Bayswater, she is pleased to return for my sake. For my sake! She leaves the pure atmosphere of that simple country home to become the central point in a network of intrigue, and I am bound to keep the secret so closely interwoven with her fate. I love her more truly, more purely than I thought myself capable of loving. Yet I can only approach her as the tool of George Sheldon, a rapacious conspirator, bent on securing the hoarded thousands of old John Haygarth. Of all men upon this earth, I should be the last to underrate the advantages of wealth. I, who have been reared in the gutter, which is poverty's cradle. Yet I would fain Charlotte's fortune had come to her in any other fashion than as the result of my work in the character of a salaried private inquirer. End of Book the Sixth